the hard yards, passionate about sport. It's gone to the short side. Oh, it's not gone to the short side. It's gone to the trailer. I don't think we met before, but I'm the referee on this field, not you. Hi Rob, Zeeb's here. Just want to discuss the captaincy next. He's calling. Oh, and Ringrose comes through. Oh, and it's brilliant from Ringrose. Ringrose is going here. What a score! Hello, I'm Andy McGeady, and you're very welcome to the Hard Yards. We have a great show lined up for you today. I have James Downey and Pat McCarry in studio. And we have a great interview with Connacht fullback Tiernan O'Halloran, who joins us on the phone from Galway. Gents, hello. Hello. Andy. Yeah. Pat. How's Clontarf doing? Clontarf's going quite well, actually. Um, recovered from a bit of a stumbling block at the start. Was uh, that the bit when you were playing, was it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. It's <laughs> <laughs> a bit where I was coaching, but no. Um, now we've had a couple of a couple of early losses, but we seem to have uh, turned it around a little bit. We've uh, a huge test tomorrow night against Lansdowne, so uh, the unbeaten side. So uh, it will be a big test to see where we are. Unbeaten and not conceded many points at all. No, no, seem to be um, very tight defence out there. So, um, so the backs coach for Clontarf could have a bit of work in his hands, could he? Uh, certainly does. Certainly mm. does. But no, look. I'm going to go into the old kind of classic quotes of we can only focus on <laughs> what we can do we can, and we can only beat the teams that put, we put in front of us but Pat step into bad cop <laughs> mode here come on <laughs> now nah, look they're a very good side aren't they so um, they're does, a very good side we have great ba- respect for the opponents this is where you always bait them and go like oh well, your other coach said you guys are absolutely terrible what do, what do you think about that that's <laughs> for himself to say that you know that's a motivational uh, stick I'll beat the lads with on Friday yeah. but um, now I remember we used to have uh, uh, Michael Bradley if there was any uh, any statement said by anyone in the press like it'd be it'd be pinned up in the in the dressing room uh, you, and, and highlighted anything from a paper quote or anything and you so it's quite an interesting topic I think of, of what you can say and what you can say when you're actually playing and you don't want to stir the hornet's nest as such because people actually go for um, the smallest thing just to get that edge like and it really is and it actually really baits some people into um, up in the game would you believe like and some people get really riled about it especially internally I think especially if there was a province an Irish province against an Irish province that players see it as you know, it's a, an Irish part of an Irish island if someone's disrespecting us or blah blah blah. You know, and you just take any. It was funny, okay, because Conor Murray was uh, up at Carton House there for some of the media stuff this week, and he was actually saying, um, "Oh, I'm expecting," because we were talking about Bundyaki, and he was like, "Oh yeah, listen, he's seen it. We've all seen it. Everybody reads it, whether it's on your phone." And it's like great to actually hear someone saying, "Listen, we know this is all to going acknowledge on. it." Like, yeah, and then yeah. The, and then Reese Rudd, Simon Easter came in, and Ty Furlong came in, and they're all, like, "No, I haven't really seen much of that at all." <laughs> like, you know, like, but it's refreshingly honest to hear yeah. someone kind of step out and say <laughs> something and kind of go, "Yeah, look." This is the way it is, and this is what it is. So, yeah. So, it, it, I could see it working for some players, and other other players are just kind of go, yeah, whatever. It's just you know, the media will write what the media will write, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, completely, and that works as well for performance analysis. Like if you read, like if you read every single paper, and a lot of people do, you read the papers, and if you take the good stuff and the bad stuff, and it's psychological, and how you, oh, it's great, I'm great, a pat on the back that I'm doing uh, doing doing extremely well. But then you read some some bad stuff in the papers and then you're like oh you can't write that and it's <laughs> like but you know what you're getting if you're going to read them I personally didn't really read too much because 
like some people think you're great and some people think like you're, you're was that a conscious decision or did it, is it um, something yeah because like because it's great to read that you're doing well or whatever but mm. you're always going to get someone no matter what you're doing no matter how good you are no matter if you're the best player in the world someone's going to have an issue somewhere and like if you're going on message boards the message boards even exist anymore but um, yeah I think like, the equivalent now is, is Twitter and comment yeah, sections well, yeah. they, well at least yeah. it's straight, straight to your face uh, <laughs> yeah. but look same with same with that social media you go on social media from my opinion you know what you're getting so yeah. like you, like it's harsh but you know what you're going to get yeah um, well I like social but I can certainly see how it would be a problem for, for some players because if you I, I would find it very hard to deal with if you're just getting constant bombard of stuff in like you'd almost have to have two accounts the the real the real account or the, the, the public account run by your agent or something you say right you take all the crap and I'll have my private one over here which I just use for actually enjoying Twitter the egg or the oval just the, gonna, yeah. yeah exactly yeah just well, and I do think that some players do and it, um, has anyone found this excellent account the ru- long rumour Jonathan Sexton Twitter account the first I've heard Oh, um, I, I reckon it exists because I, I, I knew uh, in England I know that Chris Ashton had to hand over um, his tweets to <laughs> hand his over his gun on his badge <laughs> oh much. really yeah yeah because he was getting a, a fair bit of abuse and Chris wouldn't be uh, the wouldn't be able to resist replying. yes correct yeah, yeah 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 and have to be politically correct maybe in a few things and was just like no okay hand it over to his agency and say look tweets are now coming from <laughs> <laughs> if only Donald Trump could do that as well <laughs> I once I once did an interview with a player and then um, he, then he rang me back afterwards and was like this isn't going to go out until a later stage is it like maybe there's a big game coming up I was like yeah no bother and then I think just found phone pinged and I was followed by this account like you know within within five minutes or something like that and I was going to just start saying oh just sensational stuff I'm going to start tweeting in the next while or something like that just to wind up because it was him who started following me then the minute we finished the interview just to see just make keep an eye on me and make sure I hadn't put anything out there so um, yeah but it, it wasn't the it wasn't this official account it was this kind of you knew you knew who it was though but uh if it was Chris Ashton though like uh, <laughs> it is is it, but the, just to, to keep on the, the Chris thing because I'm always interested in like everyone's different mm. okay all of us are different as humans and as people and how we deal with challenges is different and, and receiving that kind of personal back and forth is something that players from previous generations wouldn't have had to deal with Chris didn't deal with it brilliantly or else other people saw that look there's potential for something going wrong here yeah, yeah, perhaps, but I think you can look even closer to home, and you saw that um, Ian Keatley and Duncan Williams actually um, spoke about it, um, about the abuse that they were receiving online and stuff like that. Like, and look, when you're bringing families and stuff, and you're getting extremely personal, it makes it um, a little bit different. You know, if it's about how you're playing or whatever, fair enough. You're in, people are entitled to their opinion, and um, they're allowed to express their opinions. But um, there's a way of doing it, and um, certainly the way that they were dealt with wasn't the right way of dealing with it you know mm. and it's got to be hard you know and it's and he can show the effect that it actually had in the two lads like and how much it impacts them and their families behind it so mm. um, look but you, you kind of also know that once you're in that kind of environment and you're in a situation where um, the public have access to you and can actually express their opinion without any fallback or comeback really it's mm. Um, yeah, it's, it's it's all great on one side, you know, but then you've got to take the pitfalls as well, and sometimes that's the way it is, which but, but it's not great. 
Yep. Pat, you mentioned you were down in Carton House. Yes, yeah, well, we were um, there on the Tuesday and um, probably go back today now for uh, for a bit more, a bit more <laughs> um, revealing insights and stuff. So yeah, we were out there and, and as I said, yeah, we had Reese Ruddock, Conor Murray was up, Simon Easterby, but uh, Tyg Furlong was there and um, really kind of coming along. You can just see he's growing into himself as a player now and a bit more confident and starting to talk as a senior player as well. So uh, he, was, he was in really good form, joking about some of the stuff that happened on the Lions tour. But uh, yeah, we asked them when we were out there about uh, this South African team that they're coming up against because uh, a lot of new faces in there as well. And people might just remember that they got an absolute hammering by New Zealand earlier in the year. But they, as the rugby championship went on, they really grew into themselves. So we just asked them about this team that they're coming up against on Saturday. It always hurts as a rugby player. When, when that happens but I think if you take the rugby championship in a whole I think they've been pretty, building pretty well obviously they have a lot of time together as a squad and um, I suppose they're coming over here with a you know a lot more um, time together and cohesion than we would have had we would have came into camp last week and you know there's new faces in um, there's guys reintegrating from the Lions obviously in summer tour and stuff and you're mashing it all together as well so you know I think last week was pretty a big week for us building cohesion and and um, and building into this week now, it's been it's been really good, and you know I think they're coming over here, and obviously, um, you know they will be disappointed about some things, but you know it's a the first challenge is Northern Hemisphere, and um, and I'm sure they're ready to rock and roll. So that's Tig referring, and the cohesion reference is interesting because we always seem to point towards the time that an Ireland camp has together as being an advantage over some of their nations mm. like for example France or whatever but he's saying actually South Africa might have the edge is that how it came across? Yeah like just kind of um, they've been together for longer does uh, you know partnerships have a chance to kind of form and, and people have a chance to play together a bit more with each other and then I'd heard even last week that um, there'd been a bit of illness in the Irish camp as well so not every player could play and they, they had to draft in a good few academy players from Leinster to to fill in spots and stuff so um, everybody might not have got that chance to have a proper run at it um, so that's the kind of thing like yeah we're it'll be interesting to kind of see how they go this weekend uh, but everybody kind of says that the advantage is South Africa have been playing together for longer the disadvantage is that they're absolutely battered at the end of the season as well so um, you know there's a bit of give and take I suppose to that and, and uh, Ireland have felt the brunt of that sometimes they've gone on these summer tours been together all season but They've got around like twenty percent left in the tank as well. But I think you're also going to see, um, like you look, you had the J- Japanese tour. Um, mm. It's going to see very different sides. So realistically, the Irish team haven't actually been together since Six Nations. Yeah, you know, and um, the South Africans have played, played won two, drew two, and lost two, mm. and beat, beat Argentina twice and drew Australia twice and lost to the All Blacks. But um, but their performance has got significantly better, kind of towards the end of it. So. Again, I, I completely agree with your point on that, that team cohesion and actually you play when you're used to playing together like that, you actually become second nature and you don't need to think as much. And I think that their training load will actually be reduced considerably coming over yeah. here, you know, because they don't have to spend as much time in the field and they know their plays. And um, I think Ireland does have a bit of work to do. But it's also, look, it's it's the first game up and you never know what you're going to expect from them. And um, it's... I'm sure they're kind of thinking it's maybe a pity that we're playing South Africa first maybe get one of the other ones under the way just to get a, a W under the belt hopefully And um, but it's going to be a tough test I think physically very tough What will like we'll, we'll circle back to the South African game in particular but 
what will an overall successful series look like? Is it as simple as three wins or are there certain things you'd want to see from this series? Personally, I'd want to see um, some performances um, in terms of um, I want to see, I'd love to see Carberry um, getting Johnny Carberry and Bundy all in the same mm. on the field at the same time um, just to try it out because this is the time we get to try it out you know um, and is that Carberry at, at 15 or is it potentially doing something interesting with 10-12 yeah that's I, I heard that the other day and I think it's um, not a bad outlet like you know and I think especially maybe in the latter stages of games perhaps uh, when you need an opening be a chase in the game or just bring in something different you know it, it works a lot of different countries um, I know Australia use it with Gitto um, yeah you've said in the pod you're, you're a fan of the approach yeah yeah no I do I like the two distributors uh, 10 and 12 just when I used to play against it I used to find it very hard to defend because um, especially against him he was so deep and I just couldn't get to him and even when you got anywhere near him he was distributing and you know it was, it was quite hard to kind of you know if it's a big lump like myself like it's kind of handy enough to defend you know you just have to tackle which is the only difficult part but that's it like you know you don't have to worry about right he's going to pull some ridiculous hands out of the bag here and I'll, I'll be caught flat footed but um, for me uh, yeah I'd like to see um, some interesting change I'd like to see Aki get a ch- chance but also against one of the one of the bigger two teams hmm. um, in this November series but I do think performance um, he's made a few intro, like obviously with, with Zebo, um, he's gone to France so he's out so like is it, like Rob's going to be probably starting this weekend um, we know what Rob can do which everyone knows what he can do um, and he's extremely solid and he's uh, very good at what he does I'd like to see something different than that um, coming into Six Nations because realistically there's not that much time left until the World Cup okay was it two years but and, pe- and people don't like experimentation during the Six Nations. No. It doesn't seem to sit well for whatever reason. Yeah, and I think we have um, England-France away yeah, in this. Year, yeah, yeah, so um, again, you're looking to beat the like the home, you're looking to win your home games and that and then get a scalp to win it. So um, if it is the time, I think this could be the time because if you're coming into the World Cup on the back of t- an England-France home, hopefully your tails will be up in the air and uh, you'd be hitting the ground running then come the World Cup but mm. that's long term but for this um, autumn I'd like to see just a bit more I don't know just a bit more something else I think we need to do something else like, uh, When you say something else is that something like the the Schmidt doctrine for it seems to be a very regimented game there's, there's a lot of plays which seem to be thought up in advance that's the perception Yeah of right. course but I also think now that some of the players he's picked he has to use them in terms of his initial plays are spot on they're perfect but if something happens that you can't account for in a training field or someone happens to be in a position where you've tried to manipulate say the winger and he's not in the position where he should be like mm. South Africa was it two years ago when they dragged the winger across and kicked back into the blind mm. in the space that he left so if he happens not to go there for whatever reason misses the run and, and he's there we need players to actually read that and, and have the ability to play in the cuff and I think he selected some players which are exciting like I think Bundy's very exciting and, and Joey um, off the cuff players that can bring that extra edge which I actually think you need now hmm. Pat is there anything you'd want to see now in terms of a, looking back this has been an amazing series because this happened I'd love to see uh, CJ Stander just having one big game maybe against Argentina or South Africa like it'd be perfect if he did it this weekend 
does that number eight jersey with Jamie Heaslip going in for back surgery again up for grabs almost for even for the next for the whole season so, so is this a straight shootout CJ versus Conan is it yeah it could be like and, and to be if Conan again there's talk of him picking up a knock and training again but if Conan had a, got in there you couldn't really argue with Conan beating CJ Sanders to that number 8 jersey because he's the guy who's in the better form at the moment so uh, it is at the moment it's turned into like if Stander finished the Six Nations really well but then tapered off a little bit and uh, he, he's been good this year like uh, he's trying to change a few things to his game trying to like not carry as much into contact again and um, you know trying to get his passing game improved a little bit more but we just want to see him back to this kind of guy who can make this massive impact again and um, love to see it against South Africa at the weekend so himself and then Ian Henderson as well this is finally his time is here it's like there's no messing around again everybody's been saying this for a while now but uh, Rog has spoken about it on the show in the past and, and so has Stephen Ferris as well and uh, just want to see him airlock grand next season so Henderson stand there great and I also want three wins nothing too much okay, that, that's fine is that <laughs> shopping list yep. Go on. yeah we're getting close to Santa time as well um, right let's turn around okay it's we're sitting down in three or four weeks time and we're sitting and the, the mood is, is glum it's really bad it's really depressed it's raining and it's been a really poor series what has gone wrong because to, to be that down it's not just that we haven't had three wins or we haven't had mm. two wins something's gone wrong what is that something? Um, for me I think uh, there's no improvement and there's no um, complete acknowledgement of, of a change of nece- not necessarily game plan but um, an ability to produce something and pull something out of the bag in terms of um, no stagnant play I don't think we should rely on our um, our structure as much I'd like to see a bit more off the cuff I don't want to see any dull kind of rugby you know I know it's November and I still want to see some exciting rugby to be honest and we have the players there and he's picked the players and I hope he lets them uh, express themselves out there which is would be my hope so if if he's bringing in as I say the, your Ackies your Carberries and um, who are exciting players if they just kind of step into the mould of well okay mm we're going to put the shackles on you a little bit and you can't express yourself and and it'll be noticed so I think I'd like to see them have the ability to do that be it understand there's got to be structure for a certain amount of time mm. but when the game loosens up a bit I'd like to see them able to express themselves Okay so if we see for example Joey Carberry and Jacob Stockdale not being Joey Carberry and Jacob mm. Stockdale being something else being yeah be it, that's a good point on Stockdale be it him just uh, chasing kicks all day right? yeah do you know and um, some players do that and fit into Joe's mould in terms of doing that because they do a job and they do it well and that's the way it works and you're uh, you're a cog in a wheel and that works well but also I do think especially with Simon out you need something you need something else now and especially international level uh, to be the differentiator you look at Bowden Barrett who isn't just a typical 10 he brings everything to the table um, yeah you need you need something you need some beaters out there some X Factor players yeah um, there is something I'm just going to bring you back to which you said tackling's easy okay and one thing we're seeing certainly with some of the new laws is the we are seeing a, a difference in how the, the defences are being organised because it's there's a conscious decision to, to not commit as many people um, at times do you think people understand that tackling's easy like at the top level just bringing down a player is not hard that's the expected thing it's the unexpected that can can actually 
make it life difficult for you as a defender? Yeah, well, okay. Ta- I, I know that's ta- really simplistic, yeah, yeah. but you know what I'm getting at. No, I do, I do. Like tackling is easy in terms of, for me, defense is a mindset, and um, you're taught to tackle from day one all the way up, and you're taught to tackle correctly. It seems to have gone out the window a little bit recently, but <laughs> um, but yeah, look, when someone's running and bringing something different, uh, it's extremely hard to actually um, get a proper tackle, get the right tackle that you want. So. I'd say seven out of ten, eight out of ten wouldn't be my preferred choice to tackle, like, and um, because of extreme, extremely good footwork, because of the way the attack have um, set up in front of me, and I've got to read the situation. Um, so, from from me, a stepper, a mover, it's extremely hard, extremely difficult. The bigger lads were by far the easier lads to to deal with. Um, which is in turn which is why I say about those X-Factor players who bring that So you'd want a large piece of South African beef coming down your channel because you know what's going to happen Yeah but you still have to do it and that's yeah. like and it's That's the bit I'm glossing than, over yeah. as a 5 foot 10 small man right? <laughs> But you still have like and it's, uh, for me it's a complete mindset every single player can tackle so it's just a matter of not thinking about it and you get out there and you do it like you know mm. and that's the way I kind of used to go about it but um, yeah, I, w- I would because but everyone seems to see the problem in my set my head is that everyone seems to hit so much higher nowadays. And when you kind of look, most players, they're from their knees down, from their ankles, they're all the same size. They're all smaller, and everyone hits up top, and they get bounced off, and they get concussed, and people are kind of going hips and even lower again like if you look at some of the, the way like the Japanese tackle against South Africa round the ankles mm. together mm. and you're, you're felling trees um, like it's chopping trees um, I know with the arm we have to use the arm an awful lot more these days not an awful lot more you have to use your arms <laughs> as a wrap but it's harder to get down there and because people are so big it's hard to get down there and and so everyone's kind of hitting higher and then it's a bit of macho-ness then as well. And I'm, I'm thinking back to the um, Australian Lions tour where Paul O'Connell asked Dan Lydiot to bring him through the chop. Yeah, Lydiot said it. And, but I was, always, I was always struck by that because the chop was this, oh yeah, this is a new thing. No, it's not. That's who we're taught to tackle in school because it was easier to bring the guys down like that. Um, but it does if everyone else is doing it a different way it means when the support players are coming in it's actually a different game for them coming in after a chop than after a much higher tackle completely absolutely if, you, if you're if you chopping someone down they're straight to deck straight away and you have a great chance of getting the ball and um, it's quite unnerving as well when you actually normally you get hit and you can actually carry for a step or two or you have a bit of momentum when you chop You've, as I say, you've, you fell like a tree. And Lights out. Yeah, but you're gone. You're <laughs> yeah. straight down to ground and it's quite unnerving nearly. And um, and as a support runner, um, if I'm trailing the ball carrier and I overrun him, if he's chopped, I'm gone straight past and there's a great opportunity. So there's now two men out of the game. Yeah, yeah. potentially. Yeah, I, yeah. I remember that from the, the, the World Cup in 2011 and it was like Wales had discovered some new thing like that we had Ferris, O'Brien and, and Heaslip and it was like, they're going to do so much damage and Lydia and the boys just kind of just gang tackled and well and just, Lydia was just chopped submarine warfare yeah and it was like Gatlin at the end saying like it was almost like this eureka moment like of how fuck started and yeah. it was like it's been around for years but just they had the boys doing it and committing to it as well that, yeah that's that's yeah. the big point there yeah. so circle back to the to the South African game itself so that's the big one coming up it's probably going to set a tone for the entire for how we think about the entire series it will yeah um, is this Ireland are favourites 
Um, but as you say, I'd be interested to see what South African side turns up in terms of performance because there was the 57-0 was embarrassing against the All Blacks, but the 25-24 loss could easily have been a South African win. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's how how that's managed internally. Um, I I see it. Um, I do expect South Africa to be as they always are, um, physical and. Large. Um, yeah, completely. But it's also not a bad start. Um, the more I've thought about it, uh, it's not a bad start because it's it's not going to be too intricate initially. I think so. It'll be a bit of more muchness, as I said before. And uh, look, do you mean it's, 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 a, mind, it's a mindset game? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so yeah. initially. Yeah, especially first game up, Irish mm. boys will be pumped up. Um, hopefully, a nice dry day and decent crowd, and like it's sold out. So yeah, um, yeah look, it's all. So going forward, you know, so it's. I think it's going to be. I, I expect Ireland to win, to be honest. So okay, that's good. It's always good to end on a high note. <laughs> I'm good to bring things down every so often, but we'll see. Um, James will be back in later to answer some of your Twitter questions. But up next, we interview Connacht fullback Tiernan O'Halloran. Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. watch the start fall off for 40 minutes come back see the end perfect you know what I mean you've missed nothing really remember Rod Kev in the Kalina used to have to bring two TVs into the room one for you for Cheltenham <laughs> like every red blooded male in the country he'd be watching the horse racing whereas I'd have a TV for myself for things like Murder She Wrote and Houses Under the Hammer Murder, she wrote, is the perfect thing to watch during the day. You're welcome back to the Hard Yards. We're joined on the line by Connacht fullback Tiernan O'Halloran. Mr. O'Halloran, hello. Hello, how are things? Good to be on, lads. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Very good well. It's good. I mean, you're the, you're the one doing the show a favour. You're, you're, yeah, yeah. you're the first person that's ever said that to us. Yeah, I'm, I feel really touched. <laughs> the um, so you're calling us from the sports ground. Uh, you you know you're around Galway. You're from Clifton. Um, I want to go right back to Connemara RFC. When's the first time you picked up a rugby ball? Yeah. Um, so it's probably about I think it was about six and a half, seven. Um, you know, I was kind of mad into sport, kind of all sports really, and I suppose rugby was a, a very popular sport on Connemara. You know, the, with the name, the Connemara All Blacks, it's uh, it's pretty unique, I suppose, and it's a unique setting. But it was, you know, it's everybody out there loved playing rugby, and so I was like something I got into very young. Um, I used to go up to, you know, a lot of the Ireland games with my dad as a young, and I just got attached to it straight away. So um, it was kind of from that. Uh, I suppose I think it was an under nines was was my first actually age grade at playing. Um, and it just went from there. I, I started out actually. I originally, I was I, even though I was extremely skinny and a, and a small fella, I actually started out playing hooker. Um, I don't know how that happened, but um, I played hooker for my first two or three years. Um, and I, I see those reminders when I go home sometimes because I, was, I think I won four of the year under <laughs> ten or under eleven. So that's a funny one to look at sometimes when I get that because I don't know how how that happened. But um, yeah, so I suppose it just went from there. Um, I went through the age grades then there at Connemara and then. That eventually got me in for for Connacht, I suppose under kind of under 15s, under 16s, and I broke through from there. I guess. You spent a while playing football, though. I did. I did. See, my dad's from a big Gaelic football background as well. You know, he obviously he played uh, county football with Westmeath first, and then he made the the crossover to Offaly, which didn't go down too well. But 
um, I suppose it worked out for him and he got he got an all out of medal in the end. Um, so obviously that that was a big background for me in Gaelic football, and I, again it was it was something I loved playing. Um, I played the, the whole way up in Clifton as well. I um, I kind of juggled both sports really. I anything I could do, I was mad to, to go at it. So um, I played with Clifton all the way up underage. I ended up playing Ted Webb under 16s with Galway City and West for two years, um, and then I was on the Galway minor panel for two years as well. Um, I suppose at that stage, as I was getting towards that minor age of 17 and 18. I probably started leaning more towards rugby at that stage, um, mainly because I, w- I had changed from Garby to Ross Gray, and in Ross Gray there was no actual senior Gaelic football team, so I was kind of trying to do more of my own training um, and trying to try to keep up the speed of playing minor level, which kind of didn't really work. And then I, uh, I was kind of on a bit of a decline at that stage, trying to play county minor, and I wasn't really probably up to where I, what I liked to be at that stage. Um, so I suppose that kind of. Made me, made me choose rugby in the long run then So the Leinster Senior Cup beat the football out of you is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah well I don't know about that now um, I actually that's a funny one I actually played because again I was in school in Ross Grey I ended up playing Leinster schools rugby and then that meant then that I qualified for playing Leinster under 18 so I actually played Leinster under 18 um, against Connacht under 18 in the, in the Interbros but I was obviously still involved in the in the Connacht Academy side of things during the summer and things so it was a, it was a weird one um, I was like having trained that summer in the sports car I knew I was with Beverly Leinster in September um, but I felt it, was, it was a strange enough one but uh, it's we got I got a bit of slagging still with the lads over that one I think we Leinster I think we won the game by about 30 or 40 points so I think I was playing against the likes of Jack Carrity and Dave Pepper and those lads so um, we'll let them know that they are time now as well. So uh, uh, was that before or after your, your old man became head of the Connacht branch? Um, that was before he was president, yeah. He, he became president in... Uh, and did he have to, did he have to promise that his son wouldn't do anything like that ever again? <laughs> yeah, well, not far off, but now he, I would say he got a bit of stick over as well. So um, they'd try and keep the, keep the Leinsters away. But look, it was never... I, ha- I hadn't even um, been offered anything with Leinster or anything like that. It was just a, that was just the way it was at age grade. When you were in school as rugby, you had if you're in Ross Cray, you played kind of Leinster under eighteen. So um, I was back with with Connacht in the twenties. Then the following the following season, you know. So that's um, just whatever way it worked out. Yeah, so it's been a, a good journey there for you with um, with Connacht. You've actually seen, you've actually been part of a very important time in the team's history, and I'm really interested into you know. How, how that personally what, what it's meant to you because you, you're not someone who's come in you're not someone um, who's known anywhere else apart from your little excursion into the Leinster the Leinster scene 18, at, at, at yeah. schools like what do you see for a Connacht rugby next under Kieran Keane because obviously the Pat Lam era w- was hugely important but there must be contrast yeah. that you're seeing already in, in, in what's being put in place yeah like absolutely you know, I suppose that Having come to Connacht since you know 2009 when I joined, um, and I was originally actually meant to go into the Connacht Academy, but Michael Bradley was the head coach at the time, and he, I think, there was they were just a bit low in numbers for the senior squad, so I actually ended up going straight into a development contract coming out of school. So I ended up linking straight up with the senior squad, and then so I've been involved with that now since 2009, and you've gone through all the different coaches like I had Brad, and then made Eric Eric Elwood, and obviously. Then we had the Palam era, and obviously now under KK. So um, there's been massive changes, not, not just on the pitch, off the pitch as well. Like if like if you look at the the sports car as it is now compared to when I first came in 2009, it's incredible the changes around the place. 
in terms of the facilities um the upgrades and staff everything like that it, it's it's you know i remember there my first year there the, the gym was the size of a small change room you know and it was you had to take turns going on on uh doing your reps on, on the bench and things because there's only one bench for 30 40 people um so it's kind of it, it's mad and it's great it's great to, it's obviously great to see that growth in Conte i think that's that's came from off the back of success as well obviously you know, under Eric's era, was our, our first time in the Heineken Cup, um, and that was that was very exciting at the time. I think that brought a lot of interest in Connacht rugby from from uh, the fan side of things. They built the Clan Terrace here, which I think helped massively, obviously because the weather here is pretty crap now most of the time. So um, I think that was helping to get a few more people in the gate, and so the numbers started growing. From you know, you'd only have a thousand, maybe yeah, just over a thousand people at the start, and you know that gradually grew and grew. And with Heineken Cup rugby, we teams like Toulouse and Saracens coming to the sports club that's, that's a massive draw you know um, and I think it, it just started to progress from there and it was an exciting time to be part of that obviously I was a young fella and I was, under that time with Eric especially I was I was playing week in week out and I was enjoying it um, obviously the problem at that stage was our consistency you know we'd we play one week and we take a scalp off off a major team um, and then the following four or five six weeks in a row we'd go out and we could ship 30 or 40 points um, so that was obviously a big issue for us and then obviously Pat came in then um, and he, I think he in fairness to Paddy he changed the culture around the place a lot um, especially around that mentality of of you know having a, a kind of a two or three big games during the season um, Pat kind of brought us into the mentality of, of approaching every single game like we're going to go out and win it um, and I think in, in fairness to, that took a while after Pat as well because he brought in a certain game plan that was not typical to Galway or not typical to the sports ground of the way Connacht Rugby originally would have played um, was a very open brand of rugby for the Southern Hemisphere type of rugby you'd say um, and that, that took us a long time to adapt to um, as a as a back three player I, I enjoyed it from the off because it was a very open brand of rugby it, was, it suited I suppose a back three player that likes to counter attack that likes to run with the ball so I was kind of open at it straight away but I suppose it just took a while for maybe some of the forwards and things to to alter their mindset on the way of playing from you know picking and going and picking and going and hitting the forwards up all the time to playing that kind of expansive out the game out the back and things like that and I suppose the way it worked was no other team was really playing with that you know open brand of rugby at the time and defences were kind of struggling at first to to shut us down so I think once it took it did take us a year obviously you saw that it took us a year eighteen months to to really fit into that game plan and, and believe in ourselves and believe that we're able to play that style of rugby but obviously that came to fruition in, in 2016 when, when we ended up winning the, the Pro 12 because we just had that much confidence in our game plan in ourselves that we could execute it every single game no matter what opposition no matter what situation we found ourselves in we knew that if we backed this game plan we, we were going to win um, and that's why our confidence was through the roof you know we just we just kept on winning games and winning you know like, as much as losing the habits always winning so I think that was that was massively important for us and then um, I suppose over the year Pat announced he was leaving was kind of it was a big shock for everybody here and I think you could see that then with the reaction on the pitch the, the playing standards maybe dropped a small bit guys just didn't know what they were doing they weren't in probably a great state of mind guys didn't know if they are going to have a contract next year they didn't know who the head coach was going to be you know guys were probably playing for all different things so um, that probably just went against us last year and, um, is, is that we something kind of that um, is that something that you can feel in a squad that just Something fundamental has shifted, and in this case, it was Pat's announcement that he was not going to be part of the setup the next season. Is that it something was, that's yeah. tangible? It is. No, like it mightn't be something that's set out in the open by anybody in particular. It's not. We obviously we obviously had a meeting, a team meeting, like 
the day Pat announced it, we had without the coaches, without anybody, it was just the team sat down and we all kind of aired out our frustrations and what, what people thought about things. And you know, there's a lot of words said in that change room that were incredibly harsh and incredibly tough. And, and I think it, it just had without having. You know, after that, we kind of said, after our meeting, we're going to leave at that and just look forward and try and be positive. But I think you could see it was just small things creeping in here and there and um, maybe small little attitudes and things like that that just didn't go right and it went against us. And um, yeah, like I said, it's, it's not something you can really judge exactly where it went wrong, but mm. uh, it was more, it was a feeling that I think people were just wanted to get on to the next step and look forward to getting under a new coach and, and wanting to do that. And unfortunately, that we, we probably weren't playing for Pat towards the end of the year like obviously we were the year before that when we played for each other we played with such confidence that was essentially that was kind of sapped out of us once the, the news of, of Pat leaving because you know we, everybody was, was so comfortable and we really felt even though in fairness the start of the season hadn't gone that well for us the following year after winning for 12 we, we still had huge confidence in what we were doing and we thought we'd, we'd still be able to get back on track um, but I think that one really kind of knocked us off um, where we wanted to go when, when Pat did announce that so there was that kind of uncertainty then for a few months and that I suppose that made us just kind of la- finish to a kind of a laboured um, end to the season which was unfortunate but look um, we obviously got the news then that, that KK was coming in um, a different a different coach again and, and I suppose a, di- a completely different person from Pat as well the way he approaches things um, you know you've already seen in interviews that Paddy's um, he's probably a lot more blunt with, yes. with the way he approaches things. And <laughs> Pat, Pat's um, nodding here beside me. He's he's been there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose you know you look at someone like like the way Pat always approached with with media and anything like that. You know, and, and even the way he was at us, he was always um, just a, a lot more outgoing and things like that. Whereas KK is probably a bit more reserved. But on the, at the same time, he he knows what he's doing in terms of his coaching, his coaching regime, his coaching method. So. Um, it's just that that's t- taken a lot of of getting used to. And you can see that with with where we've gone so far this season. Obviously, we've had a an incredibly slow start to, to the year, but I think progressively we've been understanding KK more as players, and I suppose uh, or as yeah, as players we re- respect him a bit more and, and things like that. And it's the same with with him. He's probably understanding us a bit more and what the way we work and the way we react to things as well. You know, um, it's probably to start he had to change his coaching and maybe a small, but just because it is different up here and. Um, in comparison to I suppose the Sunderland Hester and the Chiefs and he would have been working with you know a lot of a lot of superstar guys down there and guys that are in international setups all the time so that's something maybe he had to adjust as well and, it, and it's you know it's still taking time it's still a work in progress but um, I think the the belief is there now that we we're on the right track again and hmm. you know we've got a vision of where we want to go um, it was just obviously even the pre-season him not getting here till, till late in August was was probably you know the, a big factor as well in a slow start to the season and you know you've got a stage where it's now four wins on the bounce, um, and that I think that Munster game would have been viewed by a lot of people, maybe outside Connacht, as being perhaps a turning point. But certainly at the start of that game kickoff, I found it very interesting that the Ireland squad of the Autumn Internationals had just been announced, and you're finding yourself um, playing opposite Zebo the two fifteens, yeah, and you're not included. So this is obviously for different reasons. Um, was that the same for you? Did you see it as look? This is a time where we have a shootout to prove everyone wrong. Yeah, look. Obviously, I got the call and was that, that week um, from Joe, just saying obviously that he was going to go with the with the different look of the squad and um, that I wasn't in it. So I obviously knew that you know I've had a couple of injuries. Well, I've had one one kind of hip injury this year that's held me back a bit, um, and I've dropped out of a couple of games and I haven't really been. Charles, I hadn't been playing at 100%. Um, so I kind of knew, I had a feeling that, that I probably wasn't going to be in the squad. But no matter what, no matter how much you tell yourself you mightn't be in it, um, as much as you're trying to be in it, 
when you get that phone call, it's still it's still massively disappointing. Um, and I suppose that happened the same week with Zeeves announcing that he was off to France. So um, I think it was kind of a one where you go into that game with a lot of frustration, but also I suppose you kind of I, I looked at it as, as a, a game where I could just kind of take the shackles off a bit and just play a bit more enjoyment. So I kind of enjoyment and frustration. So I suppose it was a, a couple of times when I let that frustration out in the game and, and things like that. So. Um, it was look it's it's massively disappointing not to be involved in an Irish squad in, in November internationals um, and it was kind of I don't know I think it was a it was a it's probably a good time now I was I supposed to to reflect of a, of a week after next week so just reflecting and go over maybe reset some new goals for myself and, and where I want to be and what, what I want to do so um, that's obviously a massive step for me now next and trying to get back into that Irish squad again um, yeah, you mentioned here and like because uh, I know Joe would have rang each of the lads, um, you know, beforehand as you were saying he talked to you. You had like such a brilliant summer tour as well, and um, and you're kind of hitting around like a hundred meters, like in 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 meters gained in every game as well. So like you you're doing everything you have to do. Like so, does he give you something to work on when he has that has that chat with you? Yeah, like even even after after the post summer tour, you obviously get a we had a camp earlier on um, in the season, and you get your work on from the summer tour and watch, you know, those kind of things that you needed to get better at and things like that. So um, I've obviously had those those chats with with defense, with defense coaches, with attack coaches, all that kind of stuff, and um, parts of my games I need to work on. So that's something that I'm aware of all the time. It was I, I think the the big one at the moment was the main point that Joe made was I just wasn't playing. I suppose consistently enough that um, you know I just had those couple of niggles and I was in and out of the team and things like that. So um, in fairness, I suppose that's when you look at it, that's how I got into the, the Irish squad in the first in the first um, basis was because you know I had I've just been playing consistently with Connacht week in week out, uh, playing eighty minutes and you know scoring a couple of tries, playing well as a back three unit, um, you know controlling that I suppose backfield and things like that, and um, that was a, what kind of got my foot in the door with Joe. So I think that was important to get that for me because I know that works I play my best rugby when I'm playing consistently like that when I play week in week out so um, I think that that's a big focus for me now is just to hopefully get back on track with that and, and start putting a few solid performances back to back again So it's good I mean it's actually interesting to think back a couple of years where it was unusual to have a Connacht person in the squad never mind in the team or whatever these are good things um, now we expect to see a number of Connacht people in the squad and we've got Bundyaki yeah. in the squad who's obviously you know this is going to be really interesting to see how Ireland choose to use him um, but I'm interested in, in Europe in uh, China like before he came over what what did you expect from this new signing called Bundyaki before he even set foot in the sports ground yeah it's, <laughs> I'll be honest this was like the when we back in the day, well, back in the day, like six, seven years ago, there was, there was lots of signings, um, off-field signings where you sign, you know, somebody from New Zealand or somebody from Australia or somebody like that. Like every single year, we had guys like that coming over, and probably seventy percent, seventy, eighty percent of the time, the guy probably didn't live up to his CV in terms of, you know, he played a bit. He played guys who played Super Rugby, coming from obviously New Zealand, you're expecting a lot from guys. But um, and I suppose in the past, we probably didn't get those. The type of player that we that we thought we were signing, maybe, or what we would have liked to come for me. And then, so when you when you hear the news we signed Bundyaki again, you know he was playing he was playing rugby with Chiefs. Um, actually, we we watched him the season obviously with Chiefs there when he when he was involved. But um, again, he wasn't you know the marquee player for Chiefs at the time. He wasn't anywhere near, I suppose, like where he's at now in terms of he wasn't a superstar on the team or anything like that. So it was kind of he looked like a, a player and he looked like someone that could be very beneficial to us, but. 
to think that and to what it's actually ended up as is it, it's just incredible from where he's came from and what he's done for us. Um, not just on the pitch but off the pitch. He's you know, he's grown everything around Connacht kind of rugby and he's probably brought an extra couple of thousand people in the game himself, uh, with his style of play and um his 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 rugby brain as well is just incredible. Like he works so hard in on laptops, you know, doing his analysis. Things that the coaches aren't picking up, he's come into meetings and he's thrown out there. Um he's just he's very detailed in what he does and he works incredibly hard. He pushes everybody so much to train, and and I just think he's lift the standards. Like I spoke about past with with him telling, saying we need to go into every game to win it. Bunny's been as much a part of that as well. Um, he's just lifted the standards so much and what's expected of of each other. Um, and he's brought the best out of lads as well. You know, obviously, if I'm playing outside Bunny at 15 and he's 13 and he's going into contact, I know to run outside him every time because he's going to get his hands free for for an offload. Um, that's the level player he is, and I think. Look, I think him involved in November is brilliant. I think he's the type of player that will really suit um, what Ireland is trying to do. And again, I'd love to see him and Robbie link up together again. Um, obviously, I think it was it was Bundy. It was, obviously, Bundy's been playing a lot of 13 and Robbie's been playing a lot of 12. Lately. But I actually, the way I picked the team is I put the, uh, Bundy at 12 and Robbie 13 uh, just because I think that's that's what suits each player the best. Uh, and you saw that in when, the year we won the Pro 12. The way they worked off each other, they have a really good understanding of each other. Um, defensively they worked incredibly well together and I think they're both immensely talented as well going forward so um, I think it's it's exciting for Ireland I think it's exciting for all the fans and supporters and everybody I think it'll, hopefully um, we can see the best pony now and if, if he does get to put on the green jersey I suppose in, in this all internationals do you reckon we'll see uh, Joe Schmidt use Bundy off the back of the scrum like Pat used to the odd time? <laughs> I don't know about that one now. I don't know if I'm crazy like that, but uh, I'd be interested to see now. Hopefully, you know, he hopefully gets a chance and he gets to show what he's capable of because he's he's an incredible player. So last one before I let you go, because I I was doing some reading and um, I noticed that you said Bundy mightn't be the first one to put his hand in his pocket. That he likes to get the couple <laughs> of freebies, you know? Yeah, yeah. This, this, uh, this, this is where you say you were misquoted. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was. He's going to be able to stick about that one. No, in fairness, uh, in fairness, I was only having a bit of slagging with him. So, uh, no, nah, I've only been to look after all the lads as well. So, um, I, I was more given a, um, a slagging about him getting all the freebies. He gets plenty of free stuff about the place now. So, um, <laughs> it's uh, he wasn't too happy with that one now. No, I tell you what, I wouldn't want Bundy unhappy with me. No, I have to tell you. No, you definitely wouldn't. No, he's a big, he's a big lad. You can see him now. He goes, <laughs> he goes messing around in the boxing back here sometimes as well. So you wouldn't want to be on the on that side of things. Yeah, keep <laughs> you on your toes. Right. Yeah, exactly. Mr. Tierno Halloran, thank you very much for joining the Hard Yards. Not at all. Perfect. Thanks for having me again. Like I said, cheers. Appreciate that. Now, cheers, Tierno. The Hard Yards, passionate about sport. You're listening to the Hard Yards Ruby podcast on Sports Joe. Thanks for listening. We're going to look ahead to some of the weekend's games now. Uh, Pat, Ireland, South Africa. Actually, hold on. I haven't given you the overall score. Last week, another good week. Oh. Yeah, <laughs> you won again. 4-3 to Pat last week. Bravo. Um, so, yeah, you're catching up. Momentum is a head of steam. Build, it is. Build so now we've got a big international week. There's some interesting spreads here, so we'll see... Uh, We'll see. So Ireland, five point favourites at home against South Africa. Um, I will go first because I've been letting you do take the. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to take the South African side in that. Oh, I can okay, see yeah. Ireland yeah. winning, but I I've just got a feeling in my waters that it's going to be tight. Yeah, that five is is uh, generous for Ireland. Um, like, you know, you could see it being a really tight game, but um, yeah, I'm I'm happy enough to go for Ireland on that one. Um, 
it's it's there might be a couple of new faces, but there's a strong Irish team that they're gonna that they're putting out there. So um, yeah, happy enough to go to Ireland, and, and uh, but they'll be doing well to beat South Africa by five points or more. Mm, that's my emotional hedge because if Ireland beat them by more than five, I'm happy any, anyway. So. Yeah, you win, you win, win. The, the Johan Cruyff method, when he used to uh, be asked for his prediction for Holland against Germany, he'd always go Germany. He'd always put money on Germany and then say, if he loses, he wins something out of it. Very wise man. <laughs> uh, England are nineteen point favourites at home to Argentina. Yeah. Um, do you want to go first in that one? Yes, I will go first. Um, <laughs> for all <laughs> bullied this week. <laughs> Argentina. Oh, okay, yeah, so it's going to be tighter. Um, yeah, again, it's their best chance, um, Argentina, to make. And it was close, wasn't it? It was a good, it was a fun series during the summer between those two sides. So, uh, But I, I'll go for England on that one. Um, again, it's very generous, but I'll go for England. France versus New Zealand. Now, just to be clear, this is the first of two games. Uh, so, because New Zealand are playing France again on Tuesday night. We'll come back to that one. So this one is 16-point favourites, New Zealand. Uh, what do you reckon? Yeah, I'll go. New, I'll go for New Zealand on that one. Uh, uh, yeah, it'll. Uh, who knows? Uh, no one can ever really predict these 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 games too confidently. But I'll go for New Zealand on that one. Okay, uh, have to join you. Have to join you on mm. this one. Um, but the 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 one the, <laughs> the one on Tuesday night. So that's essentially like France. Eh? New Zealand have taken a, an enormous squad. Yeah, an enormous. And they've also pulled some guys in from the Babas um, squad as well. So I think they're up over forty now. Uh, so this is going to be basically France A versus New Zealand A on Tuesday night. But Aurelien Rougerie is captaining the side. Oh, brilliant. He's playing with Roman and Tamak yeah. at 10, who's the son of Emile, yeah. oh, <laughs> who yeah. Rougerie played against. That's how old Rougerie is. That's how long he's been Legend. gone. Yeah, that's unreal. That's gonna yeah, that, and that's that'd be a great game to tune into there as well. Like, uh, uh, yeah, Rougey still probably the the flowing blonde locks as well. And I know Fecker's got all his hair as well. <laughs> Jesus, uh, Wales, Australia, Australia three point favourites. I'd have to go with Australia on that one. Um, I just don't have any faith in Wales whenever they play a Southern Hemisphere side. Well, the big three boys anyway. So I'll go with Australia on that one. Ah, oh, damn it! Yeah. I I, I want to go against you on this, but I'm not sure I can. Um, I think Australia have played really well in the rugby championship. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I have to join you. And I wish I wasn't, but yeah, I'm going Australia. Though I will be interested to see how Gatland approaches this game. I, I want Wales to start playing a more playmaking. Let's learn from the Lions tour. Couple of playmakers. Yeah, they've got the they've got the players there if they pick them. They're thinking, yeah, who's going to play twelve for them this weekend? So yeah, be interesting. Owen Williams. Yeah, talk of that. Yeah, yeah. so. Um, yeah, it'll be good to see. Yeah, it'd, it'd be no. I'm already thinking ahead to the Six Nations, so I don't want Wales winning. So frustrated <laughs> to win. <laughs> Scotland twenty point favourites against Samoa. Uh, yeah, you can. Uh, I've I've picked. I've, I've my pick, but you can go. This is getting very tactical. Here. <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to go with Samoa on this, um, and that's that's. That's a top of a the top of a coin. That's good because yeah, we're not we're not agreeing on things too much. So I'll go. Um, I was going to go Scotland anyway, so I'll stick with that. Yeah, we're not we're not going to go into the background at the moment with the various financial stuff because, frankly, right now I don't know enough about it. Yeah. So it's something I want to do properly on the show, and we should do. Um, but I think there's a lot being written about this week, which is surface stuff, and it deserves to go to go better yeah, okay, yeah. So let's let's we'll um, producers nodding we'll we'll get that in the schedule uh and finally Italy six point favorite over Fiji so we'll be looking at this for a number of different reasons but yeah what do you reckon for this one this this would be interesting and it's almost kind of um yeah tapped into 
the Fiji the what they're going to be like when they play against us. So um, I, I'm going to go Fiji on that one uh, and just cover myself in saying that Italy might squeak it. But uh, I, I, yeah, I almost couldn't pick a winner, but I'm going to go Fiji to beat that spread of, of the six-point spread. Okay. Um, I My gut says you're right, but I'm going to go with Italy. Uh, and the, there's been enough shown from Treviso and Zebre this season. And if, if Conor O'Shea can harness some of that... yeah. It could be good, so fingers crossed. Um, okay, we'll this move will, on. This will be interesting. Be interesting. See how will, it goes. Yeah. Some good games. Good games to look forward to. We'll see how this weekend unfolds. Up next, we have listener questions with James Danny. <laughs> The message to the players before we left the UK and Ireland was that to come out to New Zealand to play the, the All Blacks, you have to take risks. I was surprised a little bit at Steve Henson in terms of, um, you know, normally he's pretty calm. You know, it's unlike Steve, maybe he's a little bit a little bit worried about um, potentially how good this team could be. To play the All Blacks and beat the All Blacks has got to be another step up. We know we've got to be courageous coming here, we know we've got to be bold and we've got to go and play some positive rugby. We're here to win a test series. James is back in to answer your fan questions. We put out a call on Twitter this week and these are some of the ones we got in. Use the hashtag AskTHY if you want to ask a question next week. Uh, first one from Del McGee. Are we taking a Fiji team with Nadolo, Nakarawa, Tuasova, Nagusa, Matualu, etc. too lightly as the perceived easy test this autumn? And he has put quotes around the easy. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fair point. Um, no one really speaks about it. And I think you expect Joe to make uh, pretty wholesale changes for that test. Um, again, if you're looking at ticket prices as well, it kind of has a reflection on that too. But no, I can. you're not going to take them lightly at all. I think um, what you can sometimes get with Fiji is a whole lot of extremely talented individuals. Um, Sometimes from the wing position, if you're talking about, say, Nadolo there, you mentioned Naguza, um, Matawalu, they're on the wing, it's hard to influence the game. And I think they just lack in certain positions, um, in certain key positions, mm. where they don't have that uh, control. And I don't know, um, I just don't see it. it. Like, they do have the individuals, but as a team, they kind of, when teams get in behind them, they still, they're still a bit loose. Um, and so I think for me at international rugby it kind of has to tighten a little bit Okay so this is where um, we were talking about the South African match you'd want to or, or the series as a whole you'd want to see Ireland with playing a bit more off the cuff in this game the advantage to Ireland would be in structure Yeah I think so yeah if you get in if you get into a, a sevens game with them you're not going to win like in you'll see I, I think you'll see a very structured initial start like you're going to hear the the quotes of the old uh, 60 minutes is the last 20 you get them probably will to be honest and um, it'll be a fitness thing a lot of them play in France um, it's a different intensity international it's a lift it's a level above again um, so fitness is going to kick into it but look they're an extremely talented side so and I'm sure they'll get a few decent scores as well like the, with Nakarawa there as well and 
Look, there's names all over the park, but... I know, yeah. This is a box office game. Like, there's something interesting will happen. It'll be good. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. even even if Ireland are considerably ahead or be it a close... Like, a, a Fiji will still try no matter what's going on, you know? And yeah. They'll still... I don't mean that saying derogatory. They'll try. I mean, they'll, they'll try the unexpected from at nil all, 10 nil down or 10 nil up. They'll still go... But they have their mentality, and that's the way it is, which can mm. be quite unsettling playing against. It could be an interesting one where you just this, you actually see a really strong Irish bench just in case they're needed. You know, like and you know you're not showing them full respect by giving them your strongest team, but you're you're stacking the bench just in case the lads are well, needed, like in a, in emergency break class. Yeah, in emergency, get Johnny Sexton on for the last thirty minutes or something like that. Yeah, that. Sexton and Big Dev on the bench. Yeah, just to. All right. Um, next question from the second row. Should we be using more fringe players in this group of games as there are no real damage to world rankings and World Cup draw? It's a very fair question because the way the World Cup rankings is that, OK, they're made a couple of years out from the tournament, but double points in a World Cup. So really, nobody cares until after the World Cup. So this is, you know, it's a free, it's a free play if they want to do it that way. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. I agree, and I do think these selected—not I wouldn't say fringe players, but he's selected the right squad to come in. To be honest, um, Byron having Zebo out, um, but you've brought. But in, we know what Zebo can do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, true, true, and he's ruthless. Like you know, he's not Zebo's not going to be involved in the World Cup. So at the moment, barring performances, but this is a chance to look at these other players in this environment. Um, be, be it he's gonna you don't want to change too much um, if you change too much and then you're chopping and changing sure, okay you look at what happened in England uh, a couple of years ago and Stuart Lancaster was there and like he rarely changed his team um, th- this is in support of fringe players he rarely changed his team and then coming into the World Cup or sorry he did change it sorry, and he didn't know his starting mm. team like yeah. even though they had done so well he changed too much mm. Uh, so but there's also a part of this which is if you change too much at once then you find you can find it difficult to compare yeah yeah I would only I'd bring in I'd keep the majority the same maybe 10 12 12 the same maybe and three changes three young people or three wouldn't say experiments or fringe players as as um, the question is um, give them a go um, but I wouldn't ch- make wholesale changes because then it's not correct to judge them on the parameter of they're playing with the top top players. Okay. I'm just trying to think who else would you like to see? You know, like who's not in the squad? Who would you like to see who's not there? Like maybe maybe just like a Ross Byrne or something like that. But I think he's pretty much picked a pretty good squad there in terms of lads who toured during the summer and haven't got a chance again. Uh, may, maybe John Cooney, something like that. Like, uh, but you know, he's pretty much got a decent squad there, and there's not many people were banging the tables for this or that guy to get in as well yeah and I don't think like the Irish player pool is never so vast yeah. you know but it, this is going to come down to who is actually used in the games yeah you know Americans. as opposed to who's who's come in along the for the, yeah exactly um, okay uh, next one from Dahi O'Connell should we fear Argent- Argentina given our history and their recent exposure to Southern Hemisphere teams on a regular basis also yes. a fair question it's yeah they're playing rugby championship to an extra few games each year at uh, top level yeah agreed I completely agree with that um, as I say I think people are focused on the South Africa game an awful lot and we are and you do and you do forget well, sorry it's not the word forget but you kind of do 
because it's the first game you're always going to focus on that and I think um, should we just show the uh, the last World Cup quarterfinal on a loop should we <laughs> just so was it ninety? Was it ninety five against oh. Len? Yeah. Oh, Lance, Jesus! Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks. I just wanted to go back to college bar in DCU and just staring at the screen <laughs> and going, "What the hell is happening?" Yeah, <laughs> they, they, uh, it's it's funny to look at that squad. That it looks like that they've picked for the tour as well because it's just all the kind of um, the Jaguars players are in it as well, and um, yeah, not not too many of the European based lads in it as well. So um they're going strong with kind of the guys you're committing to play there as well. So uh you just really hope that who they've got England first, you just hope that they're battered and they're 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 spent <laughs> by the time they come up against us. Dear England, can you take some people out? Is that it? Yes, yes please. Yes, please. Dear okay. Nathan News or you know, can you run over somebody please? Yeah. Um I suppose we can't really leave the show without talking about the uh the World Cup bit. Um, it's been a bit of a soap opera this we, week. Yeah, we'll know by next week. What this time next week? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ireland's have had their strongly worded letter <laughs> that everybody has seen as well. Somehow, like this, uh, this letter that Philip Brown wrote, wrote to World Rugby and maybe just left on a table so somebody could, you know, get a photocopy of it or something. But what? It's like yes, minister. Yeah. I'm always leaving copies lying around. <laughs> yeah, and it's like everybody has it word for word exactly right. So, um, well, the Indo helped as well. They just said, right, we'll publish the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah, so like, uh, yeah, and it, again, they made some. Everybody's. It's not quite as the French were brilliant. Their their thing was just coming straight out and um, just accusing them of everything and, and incompetency as well. Like and then negligence, the, amateurism, <laughs> yeah. um, accusing them of lying, uh, <laughs> leaving the door open to drug abuse. Um, you know, yeah, they've they've gone to town. Um, and then I noted there the Southern South Africa. They don't seem to be um, unguilty. Of things as well. That's a new word. Uh, so Gav Kumiski was reporting that South Africa has assured World Rugby in writing that it would pull out of the bidding process if if it wasn't recommended by the technical report. So that seems interesting as well. Yeah. So yeah. this is weird. It's like it's like there are no winners here now anymore. Uh, None. Yeah, like even if they get it, the um, yeah, and it's just it's a funny. It, it doesn't seem to be, you know, when it got announced for Japan and England, it didn't seem to be the same type of furore going on as well. And this seems to just be a mess. And by trying to be transparent, it's turned it into like a whole dirty, dirty process as well. It's it's interesting as well that they've. This is the first time they've been this transparent. Yeah, I know. Well, there's, there's an irony here. Yeah. It's it's a shame because you damned if you do and you damned yeah. if you don't. Like and there is something to that. Um, we'll like th- we'll see this play out uh, next week. So process wise, next week sees the vote. Yeah, and the vote is secret ballot. So we'll see what the result is. Um, I think some of the votes seem to be public already, and, that, and that's fine. Yeah, but Steve Chu was talking, wasn't he, from yeah. New Zealand, saying we're going to South Africa, and and and, and that's fine. Um, but we'll see what the what the result comes in with. But yeah, I, I think James, it's a really it's a really good point that in an effort to be transparent, because they've published all this, it, it is actually an opportunity. Um, and I'm just I'm not defending World Rugby. It just seems to be a fact that when you have all this stuff out there, it's an opportunity for people to go, oh, hold on, but what about this? Or could you have done this a better way? I'm not sure there is any winners here, but yeah, well. well. We'll soon see a couple of wins it next week. We'll be celebrating. We'll be celebrating next week. Nice I'll positivity. Be, yeah. you, you didn't sound that confident there. I'll be built the uh, the extra room there to, to, to rent out an Airbnb. 
or whatever exists in 2023. <laughs> Space <laughs> if we're still here. <laughs> uh, okay, use the hashtag #AskTHY on Twitter if you want to ask a question next week. Thanks to James, to Pat, and Tiernan O'Halloran, to Alan Lachnan for producing, and Paul Donningan was on sound. We'll be back next Thursday with a new podcast. Subscribe to it on iTunes, Podcast Republic, SoundCloud and every good podcast app to get us straight to your phone. I'm Andy McGeady. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week. The Hard Yards. Passionate about sport. Sport.